Hello and welcome to episode 28 of our Thirsty Podcast. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Today we are going to take a look at Romans chapter 10 through chapter 14. Uh, But first I wanted to uh, introduce to you my co-host, Pastor Michael Zarling. Uh, He and I have both done some traveling recently and I wanted to uh, give him a chance to tell you about where he's been. Yeah, so two weeks ago, I was in Kentucky uh, as my daughter graduated from Fort Knox, and we got to see some old friends from the congregation I started in Radcliffe, Kentucky, right next to Fort Knox. And then last week, we were in the Smoky Mountains, staying in Townsend for a week. It was a big family vacation with the eight of us, uh, so that was fantastic. A lot of hiking and biking. My daughter Miriam and I did about 80 miles biking, going up mountains that we just went till she got tired of going up six miles an hour and then coming down 33 miles an hour mm. so that I was think i fun. saw some did you do some mini golf we did some hillbilly mini golf we saw some bears we stayed the requisite 50 yards away and didn't get close to the bears good yeah. good uh well i also was down a little bit south of here not quite that far but also in kentucky Um, I took a group from Shoreland, a group of students to uh, Shoreland Lutheran High School. We went to uh, beautiful Savior Lutheran Church. Uh, Last Sunday, we worshiped with them. And then Sunday afternoon, we helped them get ready for a vacation Bible school uh, and camp that they have coming up. And then on uh, Monday, we went to the Creation Museum in Kentucky. And then on Tuesday, we went to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And uh, I, I just brought along a couple of the uh, items that I bought in the gift shop there. Uh, I have here a uh, pocket guide to logic and faith. How do those two go together? Uh, one of the things you don't often think about, but uh, since evolution didn't really take off as, as a big thing until Darwin came along, uh, but what would the reformers have thought about the age of the earth? Obviously, Luther and the reformers believed in creationism, uh, but would they also adhere to the young earth uh, principle the way the Bible lays it out. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, I, I got a couple of DVDs about, there's one about Halloween, uh, one about uh, world religions for my uh, class that I teach at, at Shoreland. Um, there was this book called The Fall of Satan that is, um, it, it's a lot of tough biblical questions, which I'm sure we have a book like this in our well circles too, uh, but I just wanted to see how, how the Creation Museum handled them. I also got this. I, I don't know how I'm going to work it into hmm. um, into my course at uh, Shoreland, and maybe I won't uh, entirely, but it's a, it's a teacher's guide and workbook on a course on logic, and I think that that would be um, a neat thing to use in the classroom or... Uh, lot of different settings. And then this one, I'm not sure what I think about this. This is what I was actually using for my prep work last night uh, to get ready for this podcast. Uh, It's the Memorization Study Bible. Uh, And it has all of these little um, formatting uh, tools that it numbers the words for each line, uh, puts a number of words in the line, and uh, and he, he tried to format it in a way that makes it easier to memorize. And then at the beginning uh, and at the end, there's some different notes and tips on how to do memorizing. And um, 
some kind of fascinating stuff, really, how the psychology of it works. Um, but what makes me a little disappointed is it's um, in the King James Version. Oh, okay. And so as I was reading Romans uh, 10 through 14 last night, um, I was like, you're not going to get young people to... <laughs> get fired up about memorizing if they have to wor- use a bunch of words that they don't even know the definition of. Um, but there were some interesting things I think I'm going to bring up reading through the King James uh, in our translation of Romans 10 uh, through 14 today. Um, first of all, in uh, chapter 10, uh, we have that beloved passage, and it's a very important passage, verse 17, uh, that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message comes through the word of Christ. Now, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I kind of wanted to start with that as the cornerstone of this whole chapter, because it's such an important verse that we use so much. Um, So I don't know if if you wanted to uh, begin with verse 1 and uh, talk about that later, or uh, if, if Let's you... Let's go where you're going. I'll follow you. Well, I, I just think that um, Paul is starting the chapter by talking about the Israelites and how he wants them to be converted. And he ends, he ends up saying at verse 17, the converting only happens by hearing. Um, but it's interesting to think of that as you're building up to the point uh, of verse 17 from talking about how... Uh, he so badly wants for his own Jewish race to to believe in Christ. Well, and just before that, at verse 15, and he's talking about, well, how can they, the Jews, believe uh, without a preacher? They need to hear someone. How can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news of peace, who preach the good news of things. And there I was thinking about uh, the last few days I've been working ahead on starting our Sunday school this next year. Because uh, it was amazing that last year when everything was pretty much shut down, we've had the largest Sunday school class we've ever had. And we're hoping to build on that this year. But the way I want to build on that is we're blessed with uh, having at least four, possibly six or more freshmen alone that are thinking of becoming pastors or teachers. So I want to give them early field experience of having them teach Sunday school, that we'll have our Sunday school superintendent and the second in command kind of to teach the lesson in the large group, sing songs, but then break the groups into smaller groups uh, for, for craft and study. But the way I'm going to ask the kids to help is I want to use this passage to say, you're going to have beautiful feet. Now, personally, I think feet are ugly and gnarly, but they'll have beautiful feet because they're bringing the good news to little kids. And then, Lord willing, another uh, eight years or more that they will be then have beautiful feet because they're bringing the good news to their Lutheran grade school or Lutheran high school or a mission setting or a church. Uh it's the uh, concept there of a messenger that you've got the army, Israelite army back uh, at, at, at uh, biblical times. If the army was gone at war fighting, the people back at home were all wondering, oh, what happened? How did things turn out? And, and then suddenly uh, they would see the um, messenger, the, the 
herald from the army front lines come running back and his feet are beautiful because he's running. Uh, he is, he's excited to bring them the good news that we won, we won the fight, we won the war. Uh, and that's what your Sunday school teachers are going to be doing. They're going to be excited to come and, and run and tell these little kids the good news that Jesus is their Savior. And uh, for all of you who are listening, I want to encourage you to encourage the kids and grandkids in your family, uh, the kids in your church to become pastors and teachers. I read something last week that uh, Martin Luther College, where our church body trains up young men and women for the pastoral and teaching ministry, that they were down 20% in enrollment last year and down another 20% this year. And we already have a but a hundred vacancies among the teachers and another hundred vacancies among pastors. So we need lots more of beautiful feet. It's a good time to throw out Paul's question yet again. How are people going to hear without a preacher? Um, I, I noticed uh, one thing, uh, a thought that I've had over the years, reading verses uh, five through eight, um, that uh, when it comes to things like Easter or Christmas, um, Paul writes, uh, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Um, and uh, I, I think a lot of times what happens, I, I think of uh, somebody I heard a few years back saying that um, Easter didn't really feel like Easter this year. There was just a lot of tragic things going on. Um, and this was, this was, I'm not talking about the pandemic. This was a, a while ago. And um, I, I think that there's a danger, like at Christmas time, when is it that people have a lot of their worst uh, tragedies or, or family uh, fights or catastrophes is right around the holidays. That's when the devil is working the hardest to pit us against each other. And uh, I think that's why it's important to remember, let's not, it's good to, you know, replicate the women at the tomb and the, the service of darkness and then the lights go up on Easter morning and um, uh, that kind of a thing or, or Christmas Eve with the Christ child. But um, let's not turn it into a, an event where you have to awaken the spirit of Jesus in your heart or you have to orchestrate everything so that the holiday is is a, a perfect redoing of, of the resurrection, uh, it, you don't have to bring Christ up from the dead. You don't have to bring Christ down. Uh, he, it's already happened. It's a historic fact. Um, and the word is very near you, Paul says. Uh, it's, a, it's as close to you as saying the name Jesus. Uh, it's on your tongue. Um, so I, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, and then uh, one thing too with verse 17, since you started there, I wore this t-shirt purposely for today. Uh, so then faith comes from hearing the message and the message comes to the word of Christ. So the shirt I'm wearing says, want a taco about Jesus? It's got a big taco on it. But that's what we want to do. We want to talk about Jesus. Uh, I'm thinking of the next two weeks that I have in the ministry, that tomorrow, kind of a simple message uh, for our Jesus cares, those with special needs. Uh, and then Sunday morning, much deeper topic as I'm preaching on Holy Communion and then how necessary it is for us and for our faith and salvation. And then uh, a week after that, that we do 
a week long of soccer camp, which is our vacation Bible school. But all of those are different ways that we're trying to get the gospel out because uh, the devil has us so much during this world. Uh, whether it's, it doesn't really matter what we're watching on Hulu and Netflix or Marvel movies or whatever, or what we're reading in the news or watching on TV, even with the Olympics starting soon, that uh, the devil has us so often and we need more and more gospel. We can't have the faith, come to faith, keep the faith unless we're in God's word. I'm kind of wishing, I, I'm going to get into chapter 11 in a minute here, but uh, I'm kind of wishing that I would have done my show prep for this uh, earlier in the week because um, we actually had a discussion with the uh, young people on our trip one night. Uh, I was kind of having a, a closing devotion in the evening and uh, the, the, somebody brought up a question about why uh, God would condemn people in far-flung countries who have never had a chance to hear the gospel and, and why why wouldn't you know why wouldn't he give them a chance to be saved uh if if saving if if hear if save it, salvation comes by hearing uh and they don't even have a chance to hear how is it fair of god to condemn them uh paul kind of answers that question in the closing verses of chapter 10 i wish i would have had this for that conversation at that time um he he really he kind of asked the question himself uh, in verse 18, but I ask, did they not hear? Uh, did the Jewish people not hear the gospel? Of course they did. The sound of their voice went out to all the earth and their words to the farthest parts of the world. Um, God has given everybody, at the very least, a, a natural knowledge that should spark them to seek seek him. But um, tell me, is there a continent on this globe that does not know is there is there any part of our globe where uh, no Christian missionaries have have had an influence? Right. Yeah, and there's a great video I've I've used numerous times. I've even used it at chapel at Shoreland of just the spread of Christianity, and it's kind of neat. It's really a fast video going through the centuries uh, of two millennia, but it shows every nation in the world having the gospel at, at some point. All right, then Romans 11. Go ahead. So it's important to review uh, Paul's line of thought here. First, Paul said that God's word did not fail. Uh, It called to faith everyone whom God chose to come to faith, election or predestination. Those who rejected it, like Pharaoh, were used by God to display God's patience and power to those who would believe. And that's Paul's argument back in chapter 9. Now in chapter 10 that we just finished, Paul made it clear that God was serious about leading the Israelites to know him. And for hundreds of years, we just did this in our one-day training camp on Monday, uh, we did a bunch of Bible stories from Judges, and we learned of all the ways that God's people rejected God, worshipped Baal and Asherah and Molech, God called them to repentance, and then sent a judge, and they fell away. And that's the history of Israel. Uh, He's imploring them to trust in him, but time and time again, Israel refused. Now in chapter 11, Paul arrives at his conclusion. So in this section, uh, the first 10 verses, he makes two points. 
First, God always has his elect to be saved. And secondly, just as he did with Pharaoh, so he does to those who harden their hearts against him, then he will harden them in turn. Uh, I like the heading that the EHV uses here. Uh, God planned a way to recover some hardened Jews. Um, the emphasis could easily be on, oh, God hardens people and, and makes it impossible for them to be saved. Uh, but when you look at the, the verses in context here, they're really saying, um, uh, Paul is really saying that uh, God also wanted to, to save the heart, some of the hardened ones. He wanted to uh, break their hearts of stone. He goes on to say, uh, talking, talking about Elijah, uh, or don't you know, uh, what scripture says about Elijah, how he is pleading with God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to take my life. But God says, I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So what, what's Paul's point here is the prophet Elijah thought that he was the only believer left in all of Israel. Uh, but God is assuring Elijah that he had kept 7,000 Israelites away from worshiping Baal. Although most Israelites did reject God, God still kept the 7,000 from falling away. And if we look at our day and age, it may seem like there are a lot of people who have fallen away here in America, that the number of Christians are getting smaller. I, I, I want to just add to that because... The, the, this trip that I just took kind of d does that for you. It shows you the, the 7,000 in Israel that God has reserved. Um, it, and I, I'll illustrate it with the point that it was kind of funny uh, how many times I had to do a double take when I heard someone call, call out, uh, Pastor, Pastor, come and look at this mm. uh, at the Ark or at the Creation Museum. Uh, and it wasn't kids from my group. It, it was it was these other groups of of believers and and their pastors going to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, and what I was just telling Pastor Zarling before we started is how crowded the Ark was. It was almost unenjoyable how crowded it was, and and you have to think um, the, these are people. I'm sure there are unbelievers there too uh, or skeptics, uh, but for the most part, it, it seems like pretty pretty solid fans of the biblical accounts are the ones that are there. And that's, that's kind of like seeing even in our culture today, there are huge crowds that are drawn to um, the, the displays of uh, God's truth. Well, and, and that makes me think of, uh, you know, my, my wife and daughters and I, we were big soccer fans. We, we traveled a number of years ago to Canada to watch the, the women play in the women's world cup. And, you know, the other day, the American women who are the top team in America, I guess, I haven't paid attention to sports in years, but they lost three to zero. In NFL terms, that would be like losing by three touchdowns. Hmm. So they got slaughtered, but they are broke. I saw one Twitter said, maybe you should have done, uh, instead of more kneeling, you should have done, been doing more practicing. And now the NFL is that way and the NBA is that way. And some of the movies that have gone out, I, I read a review of uh, the new Space Jam movie where they tried to re make uh, Michael Jordan's movie with LeBron James and it tanked. Hmm. And 
you know, they say go woke and go or go go woke and go broke. And and I bring that up because I think that our culture is starving for Christians. Hmm. They're they're starving for uh, good Christian media uh, speakers and so forth. I know there's a term out there, the silent majority. And I know that's talking about maybe conservatives and politics, but I think it also talks about Christians in America. Because uh, there's still a remnant left of us here in America. We're still a majority. The problem is that we're silent. Uh, you know, as we heard in the last chapter, that people cannot believe unless they hear. In order to stem the tide of unbelief in nation, Christians need to stand up, speak up, speak out and speak about Christ. I think a good way to sum this whole chapter up, chapter 11, is just to say um, it's easy when we learn our Bible stories and we we hear about the enemies that uh, Jesus faced. It's easy for us uh, as Americans or Northern Europeans or or people of other cultures to, to look at the Jews and say, ah, you idiots, how could you not see the Savior right in front of you? Uh, and, and boy, am I sure glad that I uh, believed and realized the truth about Christ. Um, and, and that's kind of what Paul is speaking to here, that we shouldn't wag our fingers too much at the Jews uh, because we are only grafted into the vine by grace. And uh, we, we could be cut off just like they are, and they could also be grafted back into Christ the vine uh, by grace. Um, so uh, let's, not, let's not wag our fingers or, or scold too much the people who lived long ago um, and rejected Christ. Yeah, and I did want to talk a little bit about uh, where the Jews in verse 11 and following, uh, Paul says, do they stumble permanently? He says, no, uh, that God used the Israelites falling away then to then reach out to the Gentiles. And when the Jews saw the Gentiles being converted and coming to faith, that would make them jealous. And then they would want more of this. And I was thinking of that with where our church is at right now, that our church started from First Evan downtown, which 94 years ago was first German Lutheran, and they were doing their services in German. Our church started as an English-speaking church, uh, even in the name of the church back then, uh, because we had one to reach out to the English-speaking people in Racine. But, you know, Pastor Lightning, I think you would see this too. You've only lived in Racine for a year, but a lot of Anglos here have kind of, have no interest in the gospel. So, Lord willing, when God blesses us with a second pastor and one of his duties as outreach is going to be going out to the Hispanic people in our community and reaching out to them and the African-Americans and so forth, I pray that the Lord blesses that effort. And like Paul says, that makes the Anglos uh, here in Racine, which are the majority, that the Anglos kind of get jealous. Well, what's going on in that church with all these other uh, cultures and communities? I thought that was my church. Yeah, I want, maybe I want that too. So I I think that's why Paul mentions this, that uh, God did not reject the Jews. He allows the Jews to come back when he, when they see the Gentiles getting jealous or when he sees the Gentiles being converted. Paul really uh, strikes a condemning blow to the idea of free will 
uh, in verse 32, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, God imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. And, and that really uh, puts the last nail in the coffin for the idea of free will in getting converted uh, when it says God is actually the one who imprisoned everybody in disobedience uh, so that he could have mercy on them all. And uh, if, if that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, well, then that's the very next thing that Paul says. This is the historic epistle for Trinity Sunday. Um, if, if God's ways and his uh, dealings with us, if his paths are beyond tracing out, then how much more isn't it his essence as a Trinity, a hard thing to trace out. Uh, oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable his ways. Anything else on chapter 11? Let's go to 12. All right. In chapter 12, Paul begins to now address our lives in Christ because the last 11 verses, he's laid the foundation of God's grace in Christ. Uh, already in verse 1, Paul reminds his readers of God's great mercies as the motive for them to make their life a living sacrifice of thanks to God. And that seems like kind of an oxymoron when you think about it, a living sacrifice. Because when we think of sacrifices in the Old Testament, they all ended up dead on the altar. Uh, Christians sacrifice too, but they freely sacrifice their living and their lives to God. Yeah, the, the chapter is really one you need to kind of read on your own because I, we'd just be repeating the instructions. These are instructions for... I thought that was our job in this podcast. Well, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's not, there's not a lot of difficult things to unravel. It's, it's really just taking these instructions and putting them into practice in your life. And that's the sacrifice that you offer. Uh, and it is a sacrifice, isn't it? Because a lot of these things are not that pleasant. It wasn't pleasant to take this, you know, prime piece of uh, uh, livestock that you could use to make more prime pieces of livestock and kill it and burn it up on an altar. Um, that that kind of hurt. And in the same way, with a living sacrifice... Um, like I'll just take verse nine, for example, do not just pretend to love others, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. A lot of times it's, it's more, uh, maybe it's easier for me to be pretend to do a pretending kind of love. Uh, and are there are a lot of things that are evil that I do find appealing and I don't, I, maybe, maybe I, I try to argue with myself and say, um, well, okay, I can see that it's wrong and it's not a good thing, but do I have to hate it? Do I have to hate what is evil? Uh, yes, this is my sacrifice. This is my living sacrifice. Yeah, with that, with that uh, ninth verse, uh, it is important that Paul places the words love and hate so close together. Why does he do that? Well, true love will always speak out against sin because it hates sin. Uh, only insincere love will allow sin to go uncontested. But as Lutheran Christians, I think for a very long time that we have adopted a lifestyle of quietism. And by quietism, I mean that we quietly go about our lives hoping that people don't notice us too much. 
Uh, we also don't want to notice very much going on around us either. We kind of like being left alone. So we allow the culture to go where it wants as long as it doesn't impact us very much. But again, like I just said, we need to stand up, speak up. Uh, we need to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And that means that we cannot be timid in the town square when we speak out about, speak out against homosexuality, transgenderism, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, uh, Antifa, abortion, or whatever's influencing us in our culture. And of course, you would mean the uppercase Black Lives Matter oh, yes. movement. Yeah. It's, it's not the lowercase, the fact that black lives do matter. Um, I, I just found one that I wish I would have seen sooner in verse 10. This is, this is, this is a real painful sacrifice. Verse 10, think of others as deserving more honor than yourselves. That, that takes a sacrifice yeah. to say, uh, this other person that I think is a total idiot, I can see that this person is not intelligent. And God says, think of that person as deserving more honor than you. Yeah, and I heard someone say this on a podcast recently that you know we're living in a culture right now where people are just tearing things down. They're te- not just tearing down statues, but they're tearing down churches. They're ter- tearing down uh, everything that we've built and the way we've built things. And again, if we're as Christians just quietly letting it happen, that's not going to be good for us or our culture and society. So again, as we as Christians love what is good, then we speak up. We cannot, we can no longer be dominated by our quietism. We You're also going to have to hate something. Yes. Yeah, hate something. And people are going to call you out as haters, but we need to be strong enough to allow that to happen because we love what is good. So we as Christians are the ones who are building everything back up again. And I think what uh, Pastor Zarling is saying is kind of summed up nicely in verse 11. Do not be lagging, in, be lagging behind in zeal. That, that there is uh, an importance to um, getting excited about something and, and to making a big deal out of it when it is a big deal. Um, the chapter wraps up with uh, admonition not to seek revenge. And uh, the, the point that I always like to use when I've preached on this is that um, revenge, like wrath, God's wrath is kind of like a freight train. It's coming barreling down on the person who has harmed you. And if you try to uh, get revenge on the person who has harmed you, that freight train is going to take both of you out or maybe just take you out um, and let the other person off. So uh, don't, don't take revenge. Leave, leave vengeance to God. Anything else with chapter 12? Oh, yes, but uh, we should probably, for the sake of our staying on schedule, go to 13. Yeah, there's a lot on spiritual gifts. I, I guess before we move on, what I want to mention real briefly, I had a lot more to say on it, but I, I want all of you who are listening to just consider your spiritual gifts. That's what Paul spends the good portion of the first half talking about, is consider your spiritual gifts, not too highly, but not too humbly. If you're too humbly... You're not going to do anything. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. Humility is thinking about other people more than yourself. Right. And if you're if you're downgrading your own abilities, that's not helpful to the people around you. Right. And so the big thing is evaluate uh, your gifts and then talk to your pastor, talk to your principal, your teachers, 
your church council president, but get involved in the ministry, get your children and the rest of your family involved. Uh, I, I have this conversation all the time with people. And I just said this uh, with someone yesterday that my age and older, you know, we just used to belong to things, you know, belong to 4-H, belong to the church, belong to a club. And that was good enough. But, you know, Pastor Lane, in your age and younger and all the other generations, you can't just belong to something. You've got to be involved, see something of worth for yourself and worth for the community. And so those of you who are listening, there is worth in any gift that you have, even if it's at home praying for your pastor and your church and your family. Uh, But there's a lot more that you can do. Find your spiritual gifts. Find you know, get involved in your church. There's the old rule that uh, 20% in the church do 80% of the work. Now imagine if 80% of the people in your church did the work. Imagine what God will accomplish in your church when four times the, the amount of people are involved in ministry. And when people are involved in ministry, they and their family stay involved instead of just something to do once uh, one once a week for one hour at most. The one thing I was going to throw in but resisted was the line in verse uh, 20. But no, no, watch All this. Right. Uh, the line in verse 20 about heap burning coals on, on someone's head. Uh, I read a great article once that explained that to me beautifully that I've always used ever since. And if you were really confused by that or curious about it, uh, please seek me out or uh, write me an email and I'll, I'll tell you what that article said. All right. So I'm going to let you go first on Romans 13, because you know I've got oh a, lot, a lot to say on it. So I want to uh, want you to go first. We, we were talking just before we got started about uh, recording this podcast uh, about recent events in our uh, nation and, and the way that our country has uh, sort of got a little bit heavy handed with some of the mandates and some of the uh, uh, quarantines and restrictions and uh, a lot of the misinformation that has been spread. Um, and uh, that's that's caused a lot of problems. And uh, a, a lot of people have used Romans 13 uh, as a, a, a passage to apply in this situation that we should submit to governing authorities. And I th- uh, that is true, and it's God's word, and that's what we're going to look at right now. Um, somebody uh, said recently that uh, you need to balance Romans 13 with Revelation 13. Uh, and, Rev- and what's Revelation 13? It, it depicts the beast out of the sea, which for the Jewish people would have been the Roman Empire. The Romans came from the west, from the sea, and they were the governing authorities at that time. And uh, it is depicted as a godless beast. And so that is also a biblical way to talk about government, that when it acts like a godless beast, it is the Revelation 13 beast out of the sea. That does not change Romans 13, that we still submit ourselves. And I guess all I wanted to say, well, there are a couple of things, but the main one maybe is uh, for uh, verses one through uh, not, uh, seven or so, um, Let's remember that Revelation 13, the beast out of the sea, is godless government, and there are times that we need to resist that, uh, but that does not conflict with what God says about submitting to the governing authorities in Romans 13, and here's the thing about submitting. 
submitting sort of implies that you're going to be doing something or you're going to have to do something that you don't really like. If you were just volunteering, uh, Paul wouldn't have had to write the word submit. But because this is something that, uh, that the government asks us to do things that we don't really enjoy, uh, Paul does use the word submit here. And that's not the, the full range of the word submit, I understand, but it is part of it. Yeah, with that word submit, I've had a lot of people quote Romans 13 to me to this, this past year, again, about lockdowns, mandates, etc. And I think they equi- equate submit with obey. And my response to them is to quote my favorite movie back to them, The Princess Bride. Uh, I say, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> You know, that's Inigo Montoya to Vizzini, who keeps using the word inconceivable. And just like Vizzini didn't really understand the meaning of inconceivable, most people, and Christians or otherwise, don't understand the meaning of submit. Like you said, Pastor Lightning, you know, submit is used by Paul and Peter elsewhere, submitting to the government, submitting wives to their husbands, children to their parents, and so forth. Uh, The big thing that Paul says here in Romans 13 is that we are not to rebel against the government, but there's a difference between rebellion and resistance. Uh, If you've been paying attention the last two weeks or so, you've seen Cubans in the streets to protest their communist Cuban government. People in the streets protesting the shutdown of society in Australia, protesting the lockdowns in France. But those people, at least the way I see them, are not rebelling. They're not trying to overthrow the government because that would be wrong and sinful. They're protesting and resisting the government to change it. Uh, And if it's out of love for their family and welfare for their nation, as Christians, they have a proper sanctified motivation, then they're not sinning. And again, most people don't understand the nuance between uh, resistance and uh, and rebellion. And like you had people you know, emailing you for your heaping burning coals on your head. I'm writing a paper on this topic of the Magdeburg Confession, Romans 13, uh, for May. Uh, and people can contact me about that paper later on. Uh, Because when our state and local governments last year shut down churches, mandated attendance percentages, people wearing masks, I'll be honest with you, I and many of our members in this church didn't go along with the mandates. Now, some thought we were breaking Romans 13 by rebelling against the government. Uh, But sadly, again, they didn't understand the nuance between resistance and rebellion. Uh, I think the way that many in our church talked to me about it is they were resisting. So uh, it's been a while since I've thrown you a curveball. All right. So uh, I just want to read Romans 13 from uh, the Bible that I was using last night. This is verse two. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. There you go. Nice. I'm glad we're not using the King James anymore. Okay. Um, As I... As long as, as long as we can trash the King James. Yeah. Well, and then one other thing, too, with uh, resistance is, especially here in America, because I'm going to guess that if you're listening to us, that you're American citizens. I mean, we got some Canadians. We could. Uh, 
But in the second paragraph of our own Declaration of Independence, it says this. Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. And at the end of the paragraph, it says, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It's like the King James all over again. It's their right. <laughs> it is their duty to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for future security. So it's interesting that the founders of our government said it is our right as American citizens to resist the government when it becomes the beast out of the sea. Hmm. And to, because we want the government to be beneficial, why? Uh, to go back to what Paul said earlier, when we have a good government that's at peace, like we've had the last 200 plus years, it makes the spread of the gospel so much easier. This is true. Um, what I said to Pastor Zarling before we started, uh, he shared that quote with me from the Declaration of Independence. And, and I said, can you imagine... Uh, how many households where, where there are parents who say, uh, we're going to set up our household this way, that uh, if you kids think that our uh, authority is getting too oppressive over you, uh, then you have the right, nay, the duty to overthrow your parents. Because <laughs> this is the same ballpark. Uh, the, the governing authorities is the fourth commandment. And one last thing on resistance is... Uh, this is part of what the Magdeburg Confession was written for because uh, the Lu our Lutheran forefathers had to resist the Pope and the Emperor. Uh, and they wrote, it is good and godly and right to resist, but you better make sure that you're proper and right in resisting. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, you're not just doing it because you don't want to do what they're telling you to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you who are listening think that you need to resist, you better be, uh, well, I'm encouraging you better not. Uh, you better, you, I'm encouraging you to talk to your pastor, talk to fellow Christians, pray about it, study the scriptures. Don't just resist because you don't want to do something. Mm -hmm. uh, because as we read earlier in the in the last chapter is you need to submit yourself out of love and respect to others. To everybody, yeah. And when we resist, understand that it may look like rebellion to others, and then that may put a bad name on you and your family and uh, Christianity. Your, your faith. Yeah. yeah. But it may also be right that you need to stand up for your faith. And so those are people, uh, well-meaning Christians can come down on both sides on that. And so... That's why I said, don't just quickly resist. I think the uh, chapter kind of wraps up uh, nicely by saying, why is it that we have government? Well, as Pastor Zarling pointed out, the spread of the gospel is a lot easier when there's a good government. Uh, it, but it's also, we, we want to obey our government because uh, that is the loving thing to do. Uh, and that's, that's the, the verses uh, 8 through 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor, so love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, and then the chapter ends with that, um, well, you could almost say it's a different type of woke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, it's time for us to wake up from our sleep because our, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. 
And, uh, and so let's not get bogged down with uh, earthly pleasures and cares and instead clothe yourselves with Christ. And uh, the, the verse 14 is my favorite verse for saying that it's important to make plans. That you, that you plan ahead for things because it says, do not give any thought to satisfying the desires of your sinful flesh. Um, if, you, if you just leave things open and, and kind of say, well, we'll go wherever the winds of the culture take us or wherever my whims, my personal preferences take us, um, the, you're leaving the door open for the desires of your sinful flesh to, to grab some of that future time. Um, and, and that's, that's why it's good to plan things out ahead of time. And then clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, my encouragement to you is to go to church. Uh, if you've been apart from church for any length of time, for whatever reason, you know, go to church because that is the best place to clothe yourselves with Christ as you remember your baptism, as you hear the words of absolution, as you receive the sacrament in your mouth, then you are getting a new set of Christ's clothing every week. Chapter 14 is a little bit of a tough nut to crack. Um, It it is talking about uh, Christians who are weak in their faith versus strong in their faith. Um, I'm I'm just going to jump right into it because uh, we're our time is running short, uh, but uh, I don't want to do it a disservice. So uh, what angle would you like to take on it? Well, I just wanted to tell this story about verse two. Uh, When I read this today, uh, it reminded me of something on vacation that Paul writes, one person believes it is right to eat anything. Another person who eats or who is weak eats only vegetables. Uh, So I know that Paul is talking about like, clean and unclean foods that you might have one person that is fine with unclean foods uh, that God had said were unclean in the Old Testament, others fine with everything uh, or just only the clean meats. And some might say, well, we need to eat the vegetables because this other meat is for food that was sacrificed to idols. Well, when we were on vacation last week, a place called Pigeon Island, uh, there was a beef jerky store. So I knew the beef jerky would be too expensive to get anything there. But they had a sign outside that said, uh, Dear Vegans, I killed this cow because it was eating your food. You're welcome. <laughs> so I don't think that's who Paul's talking about, about the, vegans. The, the, the weak eats only vegetables. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah. it's we're pretty much carnivores in our family, so we're okay. But yeah, but it, and I think that's a, that's a good point to make because, yeah, when it comes to things like vegetarians or vegans... Um, it, it, you, people might have questions about like, well, um, can, can you still be a Christian and do that? Can you have, uh, feelings or opinions about food and have strong convictions and, uh, and still be in fellowship with somebody who thinks differently? Um, and maybe the example, uh, I could use would be like Twinkies, like Twinkie has, negative nutritional value is what I've been told. And, and so there's really no good, what (laughs) there's really no good reason, uh, just from a dietary standpoint to eat a Twinkie. And yet, uh, if, if people are okay with feeding their kids junk food, um, should we look down on those who have a different diet in their home than, than you do? And, uh, 
Paul very clearly says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Uh, Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And he's not going to be judging us on the basis of what kind of a diet did you have uh, in your kitchen? Yeah, the whole chapter is about weak and strong Christians, and mainly it's to the strong Christians. Uh, So he does not want strong Christians to pass judgment on weak Christians, nor does he want the weak Christians to look down on the strong Christians. Uh, The strong Christian is tempted to think that because the weak Christian doesn't see things clearly, his faith is in jeopardy. The weak Christian is tempted to think that because his fellow believer does things he himself thinks are sins, that means his fellow Christians are sinning. And I think as 21st century American Christians, we can apply the events of this last year up to now with a virus. Because some may think that others were weak because they were wearing masks or staying home or getting a shot but then turn that around and some may think that others are sinning because they aren't taking the virus seriously. They're not Mm -hmm. loving others by wearing a mask. That's a great example. Or staying home or getting an experimental treatment. The key Paul says here is that we shouldn't be passing treatment on anyone. Shouldn't be passing judgment. Yeah. You said shouldn't be passing treatment. I'm sorry. We should not be passing judgment. If you're a doctor, you should yeah, pass treatment yeah, on people. Yeah, we should. Sorry. We should not pass judgment on each other. And whether you're weak or strong, the key is don't judge what others are doing. That's Paul's uh, Paul's big point here. They, they can have a difference of opinion. Um, maybe an, a, another great example to illustrate this chapter that I heard one time was um, if you go out with your friends... Uh, and, and you have, maybe it's uh, people that you haven't seen in years and you go out to a restaurant or a bar and, uh, you, you get a a drink or you get a couple of drinks and you take, uh, photos of yourself with your friends that you haven't seen in years with your drinks. And, uh, and you think, oh, I want to tell everybody what a great time we're having. Uh, and you, you post that to uh, Facebook or social media or whatever, and uh, show everybody there could be Christians out there who are uh, weak in faith or unaware of the fact that imbibing alcohol is um, uh, is not a sin. And they, they grew up thinking that if you're a good Christian, you don't imbibe alcohol. And, uh, and, and what Paul is saying here in Romans 14 is uh, for the sake of those people, maybe you just don't want to post your uh, pictures of the night out on the town to social media. Uh, It's okay to think in terms of compassion and love toward those people who could be offended or who who might think you're sinning and then think, oh, it's okay to, it's okay to sin because I saw that strong believer sinning. Right. So for example, this afternoon, Pastor Lighton and a bunch of our other friends are coming over to our house uh, that we're going to be brewing beer in our backyard, and my daughter Belle and I, we made a target last night for throwing axes. And, you know, the whole point is to drink beer and throw axes and eat meat on the grill. But, like what you're saying, if there were friends that we invited that felt that uh, the meat we had or were eating or drinking alcohol was wrong, then we wouldn't do it. You know, we'd have vegetables and some soda. And that would be fine. And we would still throw axes and everything would be just as fun as without that stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then, so the key that Paul is saying too is uh, verse 19. Let us pursue those things that lead to peace and building up one another. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our nation seems to be a little divided right now. Uh, we're divided on a lot of things, even as Christians, even as Wisconsin and Lutherans. The key for us is to live in peace and build each other up. Uh, and it, it kind of throws me off once in a while when it, when Paul said the kingdom of God does not consist of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because I kind of thought, uh, well, actually, doesn't God's kingdom come to you through the eating and drinking of the Lord's Supper? Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe a better way to say it would be uh, the kingdom of God does not consist of your diet or your beverage choices. That's That's probably the the best way to put it. Anything else that you had? Nope. All right. So I just want a closing thought with verse 23. Paul writes, but the one who has doubts is condemned if he eats because it does not proceed from faith. Everything that does not proceed from faith is sin. So uh, this is a, a tough one too, but it is a sin to act contrary to conscience. If a person incorrectly thinks that God does not want him to do a particular thing, but he does it anyway, that person is sinning against the first commandment. So this means that we need to be very careful when we are compelling someone to do something. That's for us in the church, school, our government, with mandates or laws, because compliance can, compliance can be compelled, but commitment cannot. So, uh, Pastor Lightning is going on vacation next week. Uh, where are you going, Pastor Lightning? Uh, northern Wisconsin. Uh, and I'm going to northern Wisconsin, too, uh, but not on vacation. I'm going to Door County for uh, three days of district mission board training, and I'm going to do some biking up there. Uh, but when we get together next, we'll finish Romans, and then we'll read the three chapters of Habakkuk. So this is Pastor Zarling with Pastor Pikachu Lightning. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.